At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. This episode is sponsored by photographycourse.net. Our 365 Days of Photography course is now live. This is an amazing opportunity for you to grow as a photographer. My teammate, Kevin LJ, has produced this course in a step-by-step -step format, which is very easy to follow. He presents it in bite-sized lessons, each with a practical challenge. You'll learn and practice a new aspect of photography every single day. If you've been wondering how you can improve your photography without having to commit time to long lessons, this is the course for you. We've designed each lesson to be around five minutes long, and you can spend as much time on the challenges as you like. There's also a friendly forum where you can share the photos you take and get constructive feedback from others on the course. Kevin's professional photography experience is extensive. He covers not only photography essentials, but also many genres of photography throughout the course. You will learn far more about photography than simply how to use your camera. For our listeners, we are offering a very special discounted price of $99 instead of the launch price, which is $149. The final price will soon be $365, so make sure to take advantage of this great deal today. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com slash 365 to claim your discount. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I talk to cinematographer Powell Robinson. Powell has shot hundreds of music videos, feature-length films, short films, commercials, and much more. His love for visual arts is contagious and very inspiring. We talk about his journey, tips on how to become a cinematographer, and much more. Please enjoy. Hey, Powell. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. It's so nice to have you here. Please feel free to introduce yourself. Hey there. Thanks for having me. My name is Powell Robinson. I'm a cinematographer and director based out of Los Angeles. Shoot. A lot of horror and drama movies and also do a um, bunch of music videos. More music videos than anyone should ever do. I've done a lot of this. So um, 
it's so cool to have uh, to have a cinematographer here on the podcast, and you are our first cinematographer on Great Big Photography World. So a very huge welcome to you. I'm sure the listeners will be very inspired by your story because I feel like photography and cinematography go hand in hand, oftentimes, and there's a lot we can learn from you guys. So it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. What camera equipment do you use? Uh, depends, project to projects. Typically, shooting on uh, an Aerie Alexa, Alexa Mini, uh, as my preference, but occasionally, you know, dip into red, uh, use Sony Venice a bunch, you know, whatever the project calls for. <laughs> so do you rent that equipment or do you have it on hand? I mean, red is probably super expensive, right? Yeah, all the, um, all the, all the top end cinema gear is, is, to me, too expensive because of how sometimes fast the life cycle can be, where by the time you've paid off one camera, the next one that you want to use is already out. So I, I always I always rent. Um, I have some friends who own like, you know, the new Komodo that just came out that sort of rents affordable option, but yeah, haven't needed to do it yet. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. That's the difference, I think, between uh, people like you and photographers, who, people who primarily focus on photography, because with us, it's you can buy a camera that's pretty old and it's still you can pretty much you know, make the most of it and still take decent photographs. But as you said, in your experience with, uh, with cinematography, you really have to kind of be up to date with uh, the latest equipment to really make the most of quality, right? Yeah, especially because of how frequently the projects change and the styles are different. Like if I invested in a lens set and an Alexa, you know, I could use that for a third or two thirds of what I shoot. But sometimes, you know, you need a even smaller build or you need like anamorphic lenses or you need something else that you don't have and you're gonna have to end up renting most of it anyway so to me this far it's made sense just to keep my options open and rent yeah i think that's a smart choice and as we just mentioned cinematography is in many ways an extension of photography we both love telling stories visually but we use different techniques and equipment to achieve that i'm curious to know if you ever take photos for fun i do um i have a a leica r9 i used to have this little tiny Nikon FM10 that I used in my first college photography class. I love that camera and it sadly, um, it took a tumble. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely take photos. I think there's, it's funny because when you're shooting film, you typically have, sorry, I should say moving film. You typically have sort of the ability to find your frame and sort of like dance with your actor in a way where like the motion and the finding of the right frame is part of what makes it work. And when you're shooting still photography, there's no context for what comes before or after. And it's all just like what's in the one frame you shot. And that's sort of the weird learning curve, I think, for people who are often cinematography minded, where you'll take a shot that might look like a frame from a movie, but doesn't have as much intrinsic value as something that a photographer who focuses solely on finding the one magic frame might often find more instinctively. Yeah, that's a really fascinating perspective, and uh, I understand why one would struggle with that, because you are used to kind of moving around, as you said, working with the actor. It's much more immersive that in that sense, but in photography, you really have to just uh, make a scene on your own without really moving moving it, in a sense. So, yeah, that's really cool. I never really thought the context is, is weird to me, where, like, you know, for me, you you, you can start a, a, sh- a shot where you're, like, you know, you have someone silhouetted and handheld, and then you, like, walk with them into the light and the transition and the actual motion is what makes the shot have dramatic value. Whereas like <laughs> taking a still photo, you've got to like find that same emotional context and meaning, but like you're married to the one frame. I, that's a, it's an interesting challenge for me. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. Never really thought of it that way. That's very interesting. Yeah. For me, when I take photographs, for sure. Yeah. You have to kind of come up with a story behind it yourself and you have to prepare the scene and the mood, but nobody ever sees that process and nobody ever understands what comes after the photograph. So you kind of have to include all that in one shot, which can yeah. be challenging. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so I really like the lighting and composition in your videos. I think they're absolutely stunning. If I took a screenshot at a random point during any of your music videos, for example, I'd get a gorgeous looking photograph. Thank you. Your style is exactly what a lot of photographers aim to achieve. How do you work with lighting and do you have any tips for those who want to make their photos look as cinematic as your videos? Yeah, I think there's there's a few the technical just like the just from a technical side, I tend to like to reverse key. I, I don't like to often make my my key just a general front light. You know, I'll wrap it, I'll give the, the face enough exposure, but you'll always find me putting lights behind people first through windows, anywhere like Anywhere that I don't have to front light someone, which is sometimes a challenge because a lot of music videos need a beauty key on someone. And so finding a way to make it feel authentically me and dark and, and rimlet or, or reverse keyed is often a challenge. But uh, I don't know. I, I think the other weird maybe difference that doesn't always come come naturally between cinematography and photography is that, you know, when you're when you're shooting a scene or shooting anything, you you watch the director, you know, block it, move the actor through the world, and then you kind of figure out how to light the space so that they can move through it organically. And you're not just setting up one single spot that looks like magic all the way through because your actor is going to walk all around the room. So you're, you're lighting the space and not just them. And you have to think how to still craft it and, and, and shape the light well within a room, but also, you know, uh, still get some cool exposure on their face. So I, it comes a little bit more from story and like real world practicality of where light would actually come from rather than setting up a softbox, three point lighting, like a nice, you know, a nice little interview setup kind of thing that you normally don't when you're shooting like for, for me interviews. Um, but I guess in terms of photography, it's, it's often like a, a, a you're not worried about your actor walking out of your lighting setup. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, or your model walking into your lighting setup, which is, again, for me, because I, as you noted, like, I do like a very particular shaping and look. And so making that last across occasionally 20 to 30 feet of blocking is definitely um, part of where whatever I think you're seeing style-wise of mine comes into play is just, I've just figured out how I like to do it that way. I think as far as tips go, if you want to get more of a cinematic vibe out of what you're shooting don't approach it from the I need exposure from here to key light their face appropriately. Like I'm not don't stick a flash on. Uh, think about your room. Think about where the daylight would normally be coming from. Think about is there a lamp in the room that you want to feel like the practical light from that and kind of figure out organically and realistically where light would normally be coming from and then play it up from there. And that'll probably give more of a sense of cinematic realism, at least. Uh, yeah, that's really good advice. And you previously mentioned something about keys. I know that a lot of photographers will probably not know what that means. So uh, yes. my, yeah, yeah, my apology. So, um, yeah, so basically what we call a key light is, is just the main light source that is lighting your actor um, mm -hmm. on their face. Uh, so in, in film, we've got a few things where we've got like, uh, so you got your key, yeah, which is your face light. You've got a rim light, which is explicitly like a hair light only from the back. Uh, and so when you wrap it around more, it becomes either like a three quarter, it's like a three quarter reverse light. So something where you're like raking the light more down their face 
Okay. Then you, 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 yeah, you feel, I think fill light probably a universal term, but you've got your fill, which is on the opposite side from the key. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for explaining. And I think a lot of people are probably not familiar with what cinematographers do specifically. So are you, as you mentioned, I think you're in charge of light. So what else do you do? Yeah. So the cleaner, easier term that kind of defines a cinematographer's job is actually to call the director of photography, because basically you're in charge of two departments that define the photography on film. You're in charge of the camera department as well as the lighting department. And so you're the one who decides on you know, the camera body, the lenses, all the accessories you need, uh, the gear order in general. And then you've got like an AC, an assistant camera who goes, they prep the order for you at the rental house. They're the one who build the camera for you. They pull your focus and they sort of manage, they manage the camera on set for you until you have to operate. And then you're also in charge of the lighting department and the lighting department's broken up into two subdivisions of its own um, in which you've got the grip side and the electric side. So grip is in charge of stands, they handle all the mechanical operations. They'll, um, you know, they'll be the ones helping you with your dolly and your your crane work. And then the electric side are the ones who actually touch the lights, the units themselves, and run your power. And so you've sort of got three full departments running under you. Mm, that's really cool. So that's a lot of work, I can imagine. It's not not a lot of work. <laughs> not really. I said not not a lot of work. Um, it's really fun though because you you. Often get to work with a lot of the same crew if you're lucky, and and they start to learn how you like to shoot. And so often I can, you know, now with my gaffer, I'm really comfortable with. I'll just tell him like, "Hey, I just need some soft light coming from this side." I won't even tell him what units I want, or or you know, he'll talk with the key grip, who's also known me forever. And like, if I'm in a rush and I have to go get another scene set up, I can kind of just tell him generally what I'm looking for in the room, and I can walk away, and he knows what I like at this point. So that's fun. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, it's nice to have a team that really knows your style and can work with you smoothly so yeah so you mentioned giving directions to people when it comes to creating music videos and short films how involved are you in the creative process do you get specific guidelines that you need to follow or do you have some freedom to experiment with your own ideas it's a good mix music videos and short films are separate in terms of often approach i'll i'll go one by one through those um music videos can be <laughs> it's funny you can either have a music video that you know is going to happen for two weeks or you can get booked on one two days before it happens. And so sometimes the uh, the planning gets crunched down a little bit. On something more complex, uh, you know, usually you'll have more you'll have more notice. With some directors, they truly couldn't care less what you're shooting on or like how you get the images they want you to get and they'll just be like you are good, just do whatever you want as long as you get my shot list done. And which is fun because then you just get to like build whatever camera package you want and like design the lighting however you want. But more often than not, especially in music videos, because it's such a controlled, quick shoot, most directors are pretty on it, knowing what they need done. And so they'll give you really specific, they'll give you, they'll send you a treatment that has the, you know, that's how you get, that's how they book their videos, they make really good treatments. But um, they'll make a treatment with all the lookbook already built in. It'll often describe how the visuals need to look. And so when you first get booked, you'll always get sent the treatment and then you can get on the call, on a call with the director and you'll talk through kind of what they've pitched in the treatment. And you can say like, look for your budget, I can give you this version of this. <laughs> I can give you the, you know, whatever the, the 50, 60 K version of the million dollar movie that you just referenced. Um, and here's how we're going to do it and make it look like that even without the budget. But um, it's sort of a balancing act of, of giving them what they asked for and you doing what you know will be practically achievable on the day, timing-wise and setup-wise. And the look is sort of 
handed to you through the treatment. So it's it's often a little less creative than say a short film where the director will tell you like these are the reference movies I want this to look like. Here's the space we're in. Like what can we do? And so you can kind of you can go in with the director way way in advance and like look at the room and they can show you the blocking ahead of time and you can kind of figure out how to give them their reference movie look organically as opposed to just being told what it is. The funny thing about music videos, and it just happened to me recently, you could spend a six uh, or more, you could spend a full pre-light day, like rigging all your lights in the air, like getting them all up into a grid and like getting this nice, perfect zone set up. And then the musician shows up and they're like, hey, that couch over there in the green room is actually cool. Can we just shoot in there instead? And you'll be like, oh, um, do you not see the hundreds of thousands of dollars of lighting hanging over your head? And they'll just be like, no, I want to shoot on the couch. And so you figure out how to uh, shoot on the couch. Um, <laughs> music videos are a lot more improvisational, I think, because that kind of thing happens more frequently than not. Uh, the director and the artist will find what they want to do on the day after you've already lit it, and then you know you kind of just wing it. You figure out how to make it work again in half the time you had before. Interesting. Well, then you have to have the skills to be spontaneous in situations like that and not stress out. So Yeah. Music videos are definitely something where if you get married to one setup that you think is going to be your golden shining setup through the whole video, and like that's the one you're relying on, and you have no backup plans for how to make it work anywhere else, you're going to have a very bad time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, I can relate to that, actually, because, I mean, on a much smaller scale, when I have photo shoots, usually I have some sort of very vague idea in mind. I have a specific location and a specific kind of lighting that I like. But sometimes it just doesn't work out because of the atmosphere or, I mean, I personally like to use a lot of natural light and sometimes it just changes because you can't control it, unfortunately. And yeah, I end up having to improvise and, and change my props or whatever whatever it is that I'm working with. And it's just a part of the, the process of being a visual artist, I guess, being able to improvise and be spontaneous so that you can really adapt to any situation. Yeah, the the heartbreaking thing on on I think scouting locations for both film and photography is you go ahead of time and you check it out and like maybe you have a beautiful cloudy day when you scout you're like oh this is gonna look amazing I don't have to do anything I don't have to bring anything and you show up a week later and it's broad daylight not a cloud in the sky and you're like oh hmm <laughs> this does not look like it was supposed to yeah it doesn't have that mood feeling yeah yeah it does not have the same mood we we have a a funny term actually uh, well not term as much as you have to have sort of a uh, a rain cover plan when you're doing features where like, say you have a whole bunch of exteriors planned for a certain week and you need to know, basically you have to have two running schedules where you've got like, if it runs perfectly and we don't get rained out, we can shoot this week as is, but you need like a rain plan in the event that (laughs) that week, the weather decides not to cooperate and you can like basically swap all of those rain days uh, or these exterior days for like an interior set day. So you have to have the ability to, change kind of on the spot and have both options planned out ahead of time because on a feature you know you've got your crew for well depending on the shoot between 15 to 26 days and um on like on a smaller movie at least and like you can't just take the week off so you've got to have a a, even up to a week-long backup plan ready in the event of rain especially in somewhere like new york or um you know canada or somewhere the the rain and cloud schedule is a little more unpredictable la we don't know what rain is but (laughs) Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how stressful it is and how much you really need to prepare. And with the whole rain plan, too, it's super important to have sort of a backup in case something disastrous happens with the weather. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it just comes with the job, I guess. 
Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. I'm curious to know, I mean, I know we can't really be biased as uh, as photographers or as cinematographers because you know we're working with different clients and they're all very cool and nice, but do you have a favorite music video that you've shot? That's a great question. Well, let's see, it's tough because... There are a few I like for different reasons. I actually, so I just had one come out that I had shot about three years ago and the band didn't like it at the time. And so it got moved to another artist later on. Uh, the, the the director is a friend of mine and he was struggling with the first band. And so he just kind of bought it off of them and then like repurposed it for another band. And it's an awesome video. It's on my site now. It's for Paper Idol, Feel Real Pretty. And it's all, well, majority is a, a it's called a snorri cam or a doggy cam it's basically when you have uh the camera you know and you've seen this shot in, in movies before where it's mounted on their body so like they stay centered in the frame and the background sort of moves around behind them and we did it was a night shoot and he basically the guy's supposed to be getting drunker and drunker and having a really bad time trying to reach out to a friend who's pretty much um cut him out of his life and the guy gets hammered steals a car drives over to the guy's apartment and runs away from the cops and we had a few setups where like the body mount had to change. And so like we had to get it from a body mount onto a car and then off the car handheld and then from handheld back onto the body mount. And it's a very, very tiny transition that I don't think anyone, well, the, the getting from the body mount to the car the first time was just a VFX thing. The, the drop on didn't really work, but there's a fun part in the middle of the video. And I, I think this is why I still consider it one of my favorites is we do a long driving sequence that's on this hood mounted thing. And then, uh, he goes through a patch of darkness, and what we did was I pulled the camera off the hood mount, I put it on my shoulder, handheld, and I sat on the hood of the car in the exact same spot where the hood mount was, and we finished the drive with me sitting on it. So after he comes out of the patch of darkness, suddenly you're handheld, but you don't really notice the transition, and then I hop off the car as he gets out and falls to the ground handheld, and I swing the camera up under his tie and shirt a little bit so they sort of obscure the frame for a half second. And then we do the same thing with it on the body mount and you just cut over that moment where the tie is covering the frame and it looks like seamlessly back onto the body mount. It was like one of the coolest little hidden transitions I think I've gotten to do. And I, I still, it's not the biggest video I've ever done. It's definitely not for the biggest artist. It's definitely not the biggest budget, but I just found creatively it was really fun to do those, uh, those little technical changeovers. That's really cool. I'm going to have to check that video out because I haven't and it'll be nice to have that in mind as I, as I watch it. It's really cool to know these little Easter eggs because you may, I mean, watching it, you probably wouldn't even realize, as you said. So it's, it's very interesting. And I encourage the listeners to check it out as well. Yeah. It's on the, it's on the top of my site now. So I 
they finally got it put out. It was just funny. It, it, I, I was so stoked on it. And, and this happens in music videos a lot too. For whatever reason, sometimes the label doesn't like it. The artist doesn't like it. The release gets delayed for some reason. And suddenly your favorite video gets canned. Um, <laughs> for no reason. I, uh, I definitely shot a few that I, I wish I could put out that, um, yeah, I know the director got her word from the label that won't come out. That's an interesting thing when you're dealing with them. That's very common in cinematography, as you mentioned. I mean, you've probably had that experience several times. Yeah, we just shoot what we shoot. And, you know, for me, I take a lot of self-portraits. So, I mean, no one's going to tell me what I can and can't post. But with with other people, it's it's much more complicated, I guess. But for like weddings and uh, photos of people, I guess the models would maybe say, don't share my face online. But I really doubt it. I think, uh, I mean, in my experience and my friend's experience, at least it seems like it's a little bit more freeing than that. You don't really have to be limited by any like director's opinion. So yeah, that's another interesting and major difference between photography and cinematography, I guess. Yeah. The second labels and ad agencies and clients are involved, suddenly the video's life is far more um, at stake. <laughs> yeah, more endangered. <laughs> yeah. Our three, six, five days of photography course is the ultimate learning experience for new photographers and even those with some experience. This course, presented in bite-sized lessons, teaches you step-by-step the essentials of photography and beyond. Get your discount code by visiting greatbigphotographyworld.com slash 365. You've received numerous awards for your cinematography. You've worked on five feature-length films, 17 short films, commercials, and over 136 music videos, which is very impressive. What's your favorite kind of work to do out of all of these and why? Um, There are definitely... There are merits to all of them because, you know, especially on, on shorter form things like music videos in particular, you're often able to experiment more than you are on a feature um, because you can try a lot of different techniques out that maybe would be risky on a feature like schedule that, uh, you know, you can take advantage of. This is a one day shoot. You're getting one particular look and you can try a bunch of fun stuff. But in the end, I think narrative narrative projects are really where my, my heart lies. I love shooting stories and getting to work with actors and and becoming a family with the crew. So I think that's definitely the the part I like the most, getting out narrative sets. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in 2018, you worked on a thriller slash drama called Threshold. You had no script for it, and you traveled to three states to make it, and you shot it all on iPhones, which I think is really interesting. I watched the teaser for it, and I was blown away. I wouldn't have been able to tell that it was shot on a few iPhones. I actually thought it was just shot on, you know, professional camera filming equipment. First of all, I think that's inspiring for anyone out there who has limited equipment and big dreams. And I believe that with the right skills, you can make incredible art using tools that aren't super expensive or professional. Where did you get the idea for this movie? And why did you choose to shoot on iPhones only? So Threshold came from... My co-directing partner, who we did Bastard, another feature together right after college. We, we graduated and two months later we shot. Two months later, he and I co-directed our first feature together. It was uh, an, like an 80s throwback slasher. And he, had, he was in the screenwriting division at USC while I was there for production. And so we kind of just had a very symbiotic relationship into moving into coding, co-directing together. He was my dorm neighbor, my first year of college there. So we'd known each other forever. And after Bastard... We were attached to a few shuffling bigger projects that were all kind of lost in in funding land limbo. And so we got a little impatient and we decided that while we were waiting for these other projects to land, we should just go do something else. 
So Patrick had had this idea since high school, and it's changed over time, and it became – it was a sci-fi at first, and then it became more of what you, what's in the movie now, which is a curse film. It's, it's basically a, a, brother and, a brother and sister who have been estranged reconnect when she comes and finds him and says she's been cursed and needs to find the guy that she is psychically bonded to because she feels everything he feels, experiences everything he experiences. And so out of nowhere, she'll feel random bouts of pain. Uh, she'll – uh, feel whatever drugs he's taking and she'll have these episodes in public that we we did shoot for real um on iphones in public with no uh no one knowing what we were doing and so the the iphone thing came kind of organically uh basically we knew that we were self-funding it and like i have connections to rental houses i could have rented us some like five d's we could have shot it on dslrs or something but uh patrick's not a trained cinematographer uh he's got a good eye but he doesn't you know have technical knowledge to run like any any cinema style camera on his own or pull his own focus and we were i knew that our sometimes our producer was gonna have to jump in and, and she's the same way she hasn't had much camera department experience so it was a, a balance it was initially gonna be a balancing act of like well if i get two five b's i'm sure they could figure it out but like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna roll back we're just not gonna get into that um let's just say it was largely determined by budget um in the end we knew all three crew members, uh, myself and the, my co-director Patrick and our producer Lauren, we're going to have to pick up a camera at some time and operate. And them not having prior camera experience uh, in alongside us not having the money to rent <laughs> good cameras kind of led us to we needed something very simple. And it happened that Unsane, uh, Steven Soderbergh's iPhone movie, was rentable at the time. And I gave it a watch. Like, you know, you can really grade iPhone footage actually pretty well now. Like, the info is definitely there. And if you use snap-on lenses like the Moment lenses, you can get some varying lens length options. And it's really kind of cool and flexible. And we knew having to shoot in public with no permits, we need to stay really low profile. And so we got these tiny phone tripods. And we used a Zoom audio recorder, like a tiny little Zoom audio recorder. And we just hid everything. And I think people just thought we were shooting podcasts half the time. Like it was just our two actors in public with some phones on them. And no one ever kicked us out anywhere. No one said anything. We shot at cafes. We shot in front of businesses. We shot in diners. We shot all over the place. And like no one ever said anything. I mean, we even we found a thrift shop in Utah. And we're like, hey, we need to shoot a movie in here. Do you need us to pay you? Do you mind? And she's like, no, just give me a copy of the movie when it's over. So we... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> sure. So we, you know, I think if we'd come with a grip truck, like a 10-ton grip truck and like a camera truck and like a 30-person crew, there's no way in hell anyone would ever let us get away with what we were doing. Like, we, there's just it just wouldn't happen. But five people in total walking in with two iPhones is not a very intimidating uh, profile. So helped us get away with a lot. And uh, on top of that, there's something very, um, like, do uh, documentary is not exactly the right word. Voy I guess voyeuristic about iPhone video because of how we're used used to it being shown where like people film you know Instagram stories and Facebook videos and stuff on their phones since so we're used to phones presenting real life and our brain interprets that phone image as more of like a a real thing than it might like a cinema camera and so with the story we were telling which is a very intimate brother sister drama the like voyeuristic aspect whatever it is of the the iphone sensor and how people watch it definitely played into the movie a little bit in a good way and we were able to use it to our advantage and that it made i think a lot of it feel a little more lifelike or honest because it was just the performances were good and people their brain automatically interprets iphone footage as like real life for whatever reason now 
which was a cool, subtle psychological thing that happened. Although a lot of people have said, because we got it professionally color graded too, that like by the time you get about 20 minutes in, you forget it's an iPhone iPhone movie at all. It's very interesting. You you sort of just forget. I don't know. <laughs> you just get used to it. And you kind of forget that it's phone footage, um, which is cool. Yeah, and color grading plays a big part, I think, in, in cinema and in photography as well. You can really make even the the lowest quality photographs look pretty good if you know how to work with colors. Yeah, and we had a we had a hell of a colorist on this one. His name's Keenan Chivani, and he did um, one of my first features as well. Uh, the one, the first feature that I shot, not directed, the first feature I shot called Greenlight, and um, a bunch of music videos with me too and commercials. So we worked together for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what you said about the, the psychological aspect of shooting with a phone, because that makes a lot of sense. We use our phones all the time, and it, it's uh, much closer to us than, you know, a professional camera. And uh, I also like what you said about feeling like you know, nobody noticed that you were really shooting. They thought you were making a podcast. Yeah. And something that a lot of people talk about in, in street photography, because if, you, um, if you're doing a lot of travel photography, street photography, it's not very easy to lug a camera around, because it's, it's heavy and it's... Uh, it's not really convenient, especially if you're running around from place to place. So with a phone, it's much easier. So smartphone photography is definitely more prevalent now because it, it allows you to seem less intimidating to a lot of people because yeah. you're just and most people have a camera, you know, a smartphone camera in their hands. So it's a uh, seeing someone holding a phone is not as scary as seeing someone holding a heavy, huge, impressive looking camera. A foot long camera, yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little better. Yeah. Okay, Powell. Well. My last question usually for every photographer that I interview is what is the one thing that they would like to achieve in the great big photography world? But I'll make an exception for you because it would make more sense in this context. So my question for you is what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big cinematography world? Hmm. That's a great question. I think at some point, because, you know, we're all very uh, often, at least I can't say all, but mostly (laughs) we're all very critical of our own work. And it, it sometimes, at least for me, gets in the way of enjoying a movie because I'm just paying attention to like all the things I did wrong. And like I, I think I can't emotionally invest because I'm so aware of the all the trials and and, and and problems on set to like not using the take that I wanted them to use, you know, like stuff where there's stuff that's out of out of control. And I think I just would love to get to a point where I get to shoot a movie with the right director and the right crew in such a way and the right budget where I get to feel like my photography is as invisible as it is to me when I'm watching someone else's work. So I can enjoy a movie that I've shot emotionally the way that, you know, someone else might who didn't work on it. I think that's like, I would just love to feel that. I would just be curious what it's like to feel my own movie the way that someone else does. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm sure that's achievable. I mean, you've already done so much. You've already shot 136 music videos. I'm sure you'll get to a point where you're really proud of your work and you can look at it the same way that a stranger would look at it. Yeah, I think that's that's the the personal goal. I mean, like a you know, career goal, I would love to shoot a superhero movie someday. I think that'd be so fun. <laughs> but, you know, on, on a personal level, I think that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely the answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. It was uh, really fun to talk to you about all things cinematography. And I hope the listeners learned a lot about this incredible inspiring industry and please check out powell's work and check out his music videos his uh his films short films and get inspired to maybe get into cinematography yourself yeah and, and i get this a lot too you can definitely if you find my email on my site reach out ask me anything 
I'm usually pretty responsive and open to any questions like that. So I'm around. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, okay. Okay, guys. So you can go to Powell and uh, ask him questions and he'll help you out. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I hope you have an incredible day and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. It was so nice to talk to someone who's not in the photography industry, but is close enough to give helpful advice to photographers nonetheless. I hope this gave you a better understanding of cinematography and the business that comes with it. Who knows, you might end up becoming a cinematographer yourself. See you next week. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.